Unfortunately, from the earliest days in the church, men wanted to make things more complicated than they really are or were intended to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul talks about this. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Denominationalism started early in the church. Factions where one group thought they had to have a different name to distinguish themselves from others. This disunity was never intended. In fact, Christ prayed that we might be unified. And as we read in Philippians, there is one name that unifies us, and that name is Jesus Christ. Not Paul, not Apollos, not Peter, not John the Baptist, not Martin Luther, not John Calvin. None of those names, only the name of Jesus. We don't need any other name than the name of Jesus to identify us, and we are expressly told not to go down that road, but rather to give all glory to God. We are Christians. When somebody asks us what our faith is, that's the right answer, and that's the only answer we need. Maybe some folks aren't satisfied with just being called Christians because they really don't understand what that means. They don't understand what comes with that name of Jesus. When we call ourselves Christians, what are we talking about? What does that entail? Well, we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, what it really means. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That passage tells us who we are and what we are to do. We are a holy people, a chosen race. We are possessed by God. We are a royal priesthood. And our job is to proclaim the excellence of God who calls us out of a sick and dying world of sin into his marvelous light of life and love. How do you feel when you're called as part of a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood? Do you ever think of yourself as a priest? Well, you should. We all should. One of the greatest con jobs that has ever been promulgated in history has been foisted, and has been foisted upon us with devastating effectiveness has to do with the distinction people make between a professional, quote-unquote, clergy and the rest of us are so-called laity. The concept that there is a priesthood today that is reserved for those who are special, for those who are ordained, for those who are holy, for those who are men of God, you've heard the terms, that distinction is nonsense and has in effect robbed people of who they are, their identity in Christ, and it can rob us of our identity if we don't understand better. 
God in the Bible did institute a professional priesthood in the old law. But in the New Testament, the Levitical priesthood has changed. It's entirely different. As 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, the priesthood now includes all of us who follow Jesus, not just a few. Under the old law, only the high priest had access to God, and only once a year. Now, as part of a royal priesthood, each and every one of us has unrestricted, unlimited access to the throne of God, God Almighty. But first, there is one high priest in this royal priesthood. Hebrews 4 verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Jesus is our high priest. And we, each one of us as Christians, are a part of a royal priesthood and have special unrestricted access to God. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Of course, there are special responsibilities associated with being a priest. We often think that the primary role of a priest is to officiate worship, to give the sermon on Sundays. That concept so trivializes what it means to be a priest that it is really, really sad. Our role, each one of us has the role of proclaiming the excellencies of God, and that we do 24-7. The role each one of us plays is a role of service to others, humbly serving others. And there are gracious, plenty opportunities to do that. Please know that those opportunities to serve one another are personal service to one another and to those who are lost in this world are more important by far than what I'm doing now, standing in front of you delivering a sermon. Ron, rounding up coats for those who don't have any. Jennifer, doing a wonderful job teaching the cradle roll class. Monique and Kevin and all those involved in the midshipman program taking care of our mids. John and Kate Costello taking care of our widows. Kristen and Jason taking care of the baptistry. Those are examples of what it means to be part of a royal priesthood. And there are so many other examples we could talk about. They will know we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians by our service, not our sermons. Maybe one of the reasons that people fall for this clergy laity concept is that people just found it easier to delegate all our responsibilities to somebody else, to a professional. It's easier to duck who we're, what we're supposed to do and just pay somebody else to do it. We're talking about hiring a full-time preacher in the not-too-distant future, and I hope we do. But I hope we don't fall for the concept that the world is foisting on us, the concept of a professional priesthood, of a professional clergy. I hope we're not trying to find a person to do those things 
that are rightly our responsibilities, each and every one of us, to do. That would be a sad thing if we fall into that trap. But another reason, perhaps, that people have fallen for this clergy laity concept is the fact that there are those who portray themselves as holier than thou. Jesus talks about this holier than thou type approach in Matthew chapter 23, verse 5 and following. Jesus says, But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But listen, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. There are those who love the recognition associated with being set apart and being seen as having a special righteousness, a special relationship with God. They're not satisfied with just doing the work humbly serving others, they want the status. A number of years ago, a member of our congregation, and I'm not going to mention any names, but his initials are Bud Trot, uh, suggested that the leaders of the congregation really ought to dress better. That if we really wanted to get with the program, the elders should have red velvet jackets with gold buttons and trims and shoulder boards. And the deacons should have blue velvet jackets. He had the design all worked out. He had pictures to show us. I think he was kidding. Of course, with Bud, sometimes you don't know. But we all had a great laugh about that concept and the pictures that, that uh, Bud brought us. But what's sad is that appeals to so many in today's religious uh, world. People want the recognition. They want to dress in the fancy robes. But we don't wear robes to prove how holy we are. Jesus forbids that sort of thing. Jesus forbids the use of religious names. Jesus says we should not give people special titles. We don't refer to those that lead the worship as father or rabbi. We don't refer to our preachers as reverend. There's no basis for that. Jesus forbids it. Some would say that this is no big deal to give credit where credit is due, where somebody has given their life to God. But it is a big point. It is a big deal. The point is that none of us is any holier than anyone else. We as Christians, each and every one of us, are holy. We are set apart. We are righteous. We are sanctified. Because Jesus has made each and every one of us holy and righteous and set apart and sanctified. Don't ever surrender or diminish that distinction, who you are in Christ, by attributing to somebody else a special religious status. 
When we do that, we do what Jesus expressly forbids us to do, and we, re- re- we detract from who we are in Christ, and we detract from the very special duties that each one of us have as part of this holy priesthood. Just recently, you may have heard that Mother Teresa will be classified as a saint. And apparently, the way this works is that if you have two official verified miracles attributed to you, you get to have that status. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Mother Teresa. She did good work, and I appreciate that. But the Bible has no such criteria for sainthood. In Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 7, he says to the church, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about the members of the church. He's talking about us. And he follows up in Romans chapter 8, verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The scriptures clearly indicate that to be a saint, one has to be a follower of Christ. If we follow and obey Christ, we are saints. Now, that doesn't make this a trivial thing by any means. Being a saint is very, 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 very special. And why is it special? Jesus Christ gave his life. He died on the cross so that we might have that name, so that we might have that designation. It's a very special thing. As Christians, as royal priests in the service of Almighty God, as saints, we have very special responsibilities. What we do must conform to who we are. Jesus himself recognized that there were those who professed to follow him, but in name only. In Luke 6.46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Those that profess Christ, with their, but their actions prove otherwise to a tremendous disservice to Jesus and the church. A cop pulls over a middle-aged lady. Lady asks the policeman, well, why did you pull me over? Well, the policeman answered, well, I saw the bumper sticker on your car that says, follow me to Sunday school. And I saw the decal on your back window that said, God is my co-pilot. And I saw the little emblem on your trunk lid in the shape of a fish. And I saw the other bumper sticker that said, what would Jesus do? And then when I saw how you were driving, I was sure somebody stole your car. (laughs) What we do every day is either consistent with the name we call ourselves Christians, or it isn't. Each of us is a walking advertisement for Christ. Once a soldier who had acted cowardly in battle was brought to Alexander the Great to explain why he had behaved so badly. Alexander the Great asked him, what is your name? The coward answered, like you, sire, Alexander is my name. Well, the kings roared back said, look, you have two choices. You either change your name or you change your ways. Perhaps we haven't lived up to the name of Christ in our lives. We have, however, been given a wonderful gift, 
the gift of change, we can change. We can change our ways, but not by our own power. Don't think that this is a self-improvement sermon where we think that we can do this under our own power because we can't. If you need to change, don't think you can pull it off yourself. We can only change through the power of the name of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm going to stop there for a minute. Some of us like to use this verse to condemn the behavior of others. We like to point out the deficiencies that other people have in their lives, but that's not the point of that scripture at all. And when we use it that way, we're wrong. The point is that we need to use that scripture to examine ourselves and to remember who we were before we took on the name of Jesus Christ. Because he says in verse 11, after he's just gone through all this, this, this nastiness, such were some of you. That's quite an indictment, isn't it? But he follows up with the wonderful word, but. And I love this. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you are justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. If you wear the name of Christ, just remember what you were before you became a Christian. Now that list was only a partial list of sins that will disqualify us from the kingdom of God. And there's some pretty nasty things in there. Don't think you can look at that scripture and say, well, my sin wasn't as bad as those. Any sin will disqualify us from the kingdom of God. God hates sin. And when I read that scripture, the reason I like that scripture because I can say, yep, I was there. I was right in the middle of all of that filth. I was there in that pit that's talked about in verse 9. That was me. But I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. We all were. It's important. How we live now and where we are going to spend our eternity depends on our understanding this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Starting with verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as God enables us to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It's a privilege to wear the name of Christ. Let's never forget what Jesus did for us 
that we might share that very special name. If you have not put on the name of Jesus Christ, Galatians 3.27 tells us that we put on Christ when we are baptized. If you need to do that this morning, now is the time. If you need the prayers of the congregation in some special way, or if there's anything that we can do for you as a congregation to pray for you or anything else, please let your needs be known as together we stand and sing.